0: Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Barry Fleet with us here today, who, in addition to being a pastor, has spent more than 30 years teaching leadership and psychology at Emory University, Bryant University, and Johnson and Wales University. He's the founder and director of the Institute for Inner Magnificence, and is also on the faculty at the Holmes Institute for Consciousness Studies. He's been the program director of a nonprofit counseling center, as well as having his own private consulting and coaching practice. He's a TEDx speaker and Canfield Certified Success Coach. Barry, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here. Jesse,
1: thanks for having me. This is great.
0: Oh, this is really great. And I I'm excited to evolve this conversation because we spoke once on the phone, but I, I have to tell you, Barry, and I think I may mention this in email. I watched your TED talk and I absolutely loved it. And I loved it because I think there is such a noticeable difference in presenters when they are presenting on theory versus they are presenting on life experience. Mm-hmm. And the ones who have who who seamlessly blend that and I think what you're And I don't want to spoil it for everyone because I want everybody to watch it, but it was, it was so unbelievably obvious that so much of what you were presenting was from life experience that it, you really exuded that message from stage. You know, I think a lot of times people, it becomes a resuscitation versus a reliving of experience. And when you're getting to watch a presenter relive an experience, it's, it's so incredibly inspiring. So I am, Really grateful to have you here today and involve that conversation.
1: Well, thank you. Um, and interestingly, your TED Talk is the same way. Oh, thank you. It, it, it really is obvious that it's, it's not an academic exercise you're going through. Um, it really was a, a life-shaping experience. And, and it was so touching and heartwarming. And I thank you for the level of vulnerability that you shared in your TED Talk.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Very. I appreciate you taking the time to watch it, and I think you share so vulnerably about a topic that is so unbelievably important in self-esteem. And I think that many, many people struggle with that for a large part of their life, and they don't ever deal with it, thus settling for maybe. You know, leaving some in the tank, if you will, mm-hmm. throughout life, and they never deal with it because maybe they were told they were supposed to grow out of it, or they just accepted that's who they are, and that's how it's always going to be, and you are such an incredible example of that the past does not have to really define your future, nor does it have to be your present. I'm hoping you could just kind of explore, explain to us a little bit your journey with self-esteem and what brought you here today.
1: Yeah, I was uh, I was always small, physically small. Um, I started school. I desperately wanted to start school. My birthday's in November, and I wanted to start school when I was five, and the rule said, you know, you're supposed to be six by the first of September. I wasn't six until November, but they did all the, the testing, and it was det- determined that I was uh, intellectually ready for school. And I loved school. And I was the kid that... Um, I was offended when the teacher didn't assign homework because I knew that that's how you learn. <laughs> and so if the teacher didn't assign homework, I'd go home and sit in front of my little chalkboard and I'd make up homework for myself because I was just so passionate about, about learning. And then in the second grade, uh, short story is the, the school caught fire and I was close enough that I could, I could feel the heat um, it was a small town, all volunteer fire uh, fighters. Um, I knew my dad was was there and other men from the town, and I was watch watching it was a two frame wooden building. It was the same schoolhouse that my mother had gone to. And I'm standing there watching this fire, and I'm realizing that that one little fire truck is no match for the this huge fire. Mm. And I didn't realize it at the time, but the some big kids came up to me. Now that translates into third and fourth graders. And they said, Barry, why are you crying? And, and from the depths of my heart, I said, we're not going to have school tomorrow. Wow. My world was literally going up in smoke. And They laughed. And they went off chanting, no more school, no more school, maybe never school, the school's burned down. <laughs> and I realized with years of therapy later that I made a decision that day as a little six-year-old boy don't ever tell anybody what you're really feeling because if you do, they'll laugh at you. Now fast forward, Now I'm, I'm now in the fifth grade in a different school district. There's a big school assembly on music appreciation for all the, the entire middle school was there. And I walk in and I see the stage just filled with all the instruments of the orchestra. And I love music and I, I'm so excited to hear this presentation and at one point the guy that was making the presentation asked if anybody knew the difference between a fiddle and a violin. You know the difference?
0: I think the, no, I was gonna say the number of strings, that was gonna be a guess. (laughs) Um, So um, I raised
1: my hand. In retrospect, I knew that in this assembly it was rhetorical question. But the, but the guy saw me up on the bleachers and he asked me to stand up and very proudly, I explained, and I'm I'm thinking a bass fiddle and a violin. And, and so I, with great detail, do a, a contrast and comparison of a violin and a bass fiddle. And very proudly, I sat down and just as my little butt hit the bleachers, the entire assembly burst out into laughter because the answer that the guy was looking for was, a fiddle and a violin is, we we have a name for it depending on what kind of music. And if it's country and Western music, we call it a fiddle. And if it's classical music, we call it a violin, but the instrument's the same. And, And now the entire assembly has laughed at my answer. And I made a second decision as a fifth grader, don't ever tell anybody what you really think. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, they'll laugh at you. So here I, I go through most of my life, not wanting anybody to know how I'm really feeling, not wanting anybody to know what I really think, because that's the only way I knew to protect this vulnerable part of me. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of go through life with having made the decision there's something inherently wrong with me. People laugh at my feelings, they laugh at my thoughts, so just cover it up and, and get through. And that's, that's pretty much how I, how I spent my life. Um, mm. So on the outside, uh, other people would look and say that I was fairly successful. Um, I mean, not wealthy or anything like that, but I had a, had a good life and made a contribution. But, but inside, I knew there was something missing. And, um, and one day I'm scrolling through Facebook, uh, one of my addictions, and saw an ad for a sprint triathlon. And at that point, I didn't even know there was such a thing. All I knew about was the Hawaii Ironman. And I'd always had such admiration for those folks. Um, and the other, the other piece to kind of throw in here as part of the backstory, being small, I really loved sports but I wasn't any good at anything. Hmm. So at recess, when they would choose up sides at recess, not only was I the last one chosen, they would fight over who had to take me. Um, and there would be negotiations, like, okay, if we take fleet, then you have to give us so-and-so to compensate for the liability that we just took on.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I love sports, but just wasn't any good. Uh, matter of fact, in Little League, um, I thought I was drafted. Um, turned out, I found out later, that actually I didn't make the cut for Little League. They had a minor league for all the kids that weren't good enough to be in Little League. And I and I was assigned to that. Well, I didn't know that at the time, but I, I was just ecstatic. Um, but I had the reputation for the kid that swung at the bad ones and let the good ones go by. And they put me out in right field where everybody but me hoped the ball would never come to me. And I even had an experience, I was in my 40s and I actually ran into my little league coach. And it's one of those times where, um, you know, sometimes you put yourself down in order to make have the other person give you a compliment. And and I said, uh, I must have been the worst kid you ever coached. And he smiled, he said, nope, you were the second worst.
0: No. He, <laughs> named,
1: he named the kid, but in all of his years coaching was, was there was one person that was Better than I was, um, so that's kind of how I how I felt about myself. Uh, and then I saw this thing about the about the triathlon, and I check it out and I think, what's well, a? It's about a half mile swim, and I know how to swim. I got swim trunks, and it's a twelve mile bike ride, and I've got a bike, and it's a five k run, and I've got sneakers. I can I can do this. Um, and um I signed up not only to do the triathlon, but they had some coaching clinics along with it. Uh and I thought it was a good idea for me. So at the uh at the open first open water swim clinic, I had my first ever full-on panic attack. Hmm. Because I in my head, I mean the irony is that you're required to wear a wetsuit because of the temperatures and insurance and all of that kind of stuff when you're wearing a swimming wetsuit it's like a giant floating you cannot sink Um, but I had this panic attack because psychologically I really was in over my head who was I to think that I could be doing something like this Um, and the, the woman running the clinic got in my face and yelled at me there was nothing soft and compassionate she said "Barry, you know how to swim. Now swim, damn it. You're a triathlete." Mm-hmm. And when she said those words, it's like that is a an identifier that I never associated with myself. And I thought there aren't many people. I don't know that I've ever even met a triathlete before. And here I am being considered one of them. Mm-hmm. Um And so I did the the triathlon. I uh, was the oldest person who completed it that day. Uh, Did another one the following year. How how old
0: were you Barry, at the time? I was
1: was 69.
0: 69, okay.
1: Um, Did another one the following year. And by virtue of coming in first in my age group, ended up being invited by the U.S. Triathlon Association to try out to represent the United States in the world championships in Rotterdam that year. Wow. Um, And I kind of say to people, you don't have to get faster, you just have to get older. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in the meantime, I had uh, been watching Spartan events on television, channel surfing. And I knew that the, the woman that ran the cardio kickboxing gym that my wife and I go to had done a lot of Spartan events so one day I sat down with her now she's literally half my age and I said Heather do you think that I could ever do anything like a Spartan and her eyes lit up and she said not only can you you're going to and here's the plan and she laid it out she said in April you're going to do the beast in uh August, you're going to do the super and in, you're going to celebrate your 70th birthday at Fenway Park doing the sprint and complete the trifecta. And when I heard her say this, my stomach just tied up in knots because I wasn't actually thinking about doing it. This is just a hypothetical question. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: You think I could, and then I would just rest on, well, somebody thinks that I could someday. Yeah. Um, but um, she, said, she said, seriously, I'm going to train you you trust me and you're gonna do this. Um, and I did. And again, I was the oldest person in each of those events to, to finish. But one of the biggest lessons that I took out of it, and I think you can appreciate this, is the potential that we have in us, it's there. But a lot of us don't know it's there. And it takes somebody else's vision see what's in us and to hold the vision for us to come up with a plan and to hold us accountable until we can make it our own Um, and i am living proof of the value of a coach whether or not we're talking about sports because you won't find a a professional athlete that doesn't have a coach so whether it's sports or just the game of life, and it's kind of ironic to me that the biggest game of all, nope, I got this one, I can do this one myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so because, it, because of my experience with that, and, and when, I, when I finished The Beast, the, the first leg of the, of the Spartan, it was um, a little over 16 miles of terrain. It was over 5,000 feet of vertical climb and 35 ridiculous obstacles along the way. It took me 10 and a half hours. And when I jumped the fire at the end, I went off by myself and I just cried like a baby. <laughs> and, and in that moment, I thought about the tears that I cried that in that field watching the school burn down. But this time I didn't care who saw me cry because these were tears of exhaustion and of pride and all kinds of feelings that I don't even have words for. Um, and, and that's kind of the point I realized that I had come into myself. Um, and, that, and that I am okay. I am enough. And, and I am magnificent, just like everybody else is but we've all had our own experiences where we've, we've covered up our true self. Um, I don't know if you have come across it. The, I think it was the University of Iowa did a study. The average two-year-old, hears the word no, 400 times a day. And all the average two-year-old is doing is being the average two-year-old. <laughs> They're just being themselves and exploring the world. But when you get criticized for just being yourself, and I think that if I remember right, it's like you get told no 400 times a day and you get praised 12 times a day.
0: Uh, something, it was, it was so unbelievably disproportionate. It was a, it was a, I think it was a fraction of a percentage point that yeah. in comparison to the no's.
1: Um, but when you're just being you and you keep being scolded, you start drawing the conclusion, there's, there's something wrong with me and my curiosity and how I'm interacting with the world. And so we start shaping ourselves to fit the expectations of the people around us instead of just letting ourselves be who we are. And we shape ourselves in comparison to others instead of in our own magnificent uniqueness.
0: Barry, that is such an incredibly inspiring story story on so many levels. I had goosebumps as I imagined that second grader, and what are we in second grade, seven, eight years old, imagining that second grader sitting there crying because the thing that he loved and the thing that he was good at, he thought he was going to lose, and then only be told that it was foolish for him to cry to then the 69-year-old man being told that he is a triathlete that he is and not only is he is he a triathlete but instead of it being a, a like passport experiences where he was bartered over for the wrong reasons what the liability is, liability losses the other team is gonna to have to incur by taking you on, that you are actually being celebrated as a triathlete for being out there. Now, I often talk with parents and parents will have all sorts of things to stress out about with their kids, understandably so. And they wonder, you know, many most parents, I think, generally do wanna do the best by their children. And one of the questions I get consistently from parents is, what is the best thing I can do for my kids? And I always tell them, believe in them. Yeah. You yeah. Believe in them. Because it, what's remarkable to me with this is there's this thread of people not believing in you and then the ones who do and how that really, it was like you were saying, you, 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 it was inside of you all along. Right. right? that magic, that magnificence, it wasn't like it just magically appeared. It was in there all along, locked away behind these doors of, I'm not enough. I, you know, I'm not this people don't believe in me. And then once you start to unlock those doors and some people are believing in you, you know, I I think that's just so incredible. And so then to, to go on that journey from the, the second grader watching is the school parent down to being that, Jumping the fire pit, God, that's such an incredible visual. And just going off and crying, not because of shame, but because of pride and accomplishment, because of a rival. <clears throat> I think that's such a it's such an incredibly inspiring story because what I'll hear a lot of times, and I hope you can speak to this a little bit, people will say, well, it's too late for me. And I think people have been saying this a lot right now because Given the current state of the, you know, the time of this recording, it's July 20th, 2020. So we're in the still in the midst of the corona COVID-19 pandemic here in the USA, where I live in Southern California, we actually just re-locked down and kind of reset back to where we were in March during the initial thing. So there's a lot of people right now who are facing head-on that uncertainty of the future, especially when it comes in terms of their career. They've been doing something that they always were familiar with for so long. And that industry may be drying up or they may be having to close their business. And so part of that fear is not only the, that loss of that, but it's also the, the struggle with the identity. You know, this is who I've always been. I, it's too late for me to start a new career. It's too late for me to pursue something new. It's too late for me to learn something new. And I think that your story is such an amazing testament to the fact that it's not too late. And in fact, I would even say that it sounds like that when you start to step into that and unlocking that magnificence is where you start to thrive in ways you never had before. So I'm hoping that you might take a minute or two, Barry, to speak directly to those people who are listening and watching right now and who are listening and watching from a place of, my gosh, I'm inspired and I wish I could be like Barry. And life has been really hard right now. And I feel like it's it's too late for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to move forward what, if you can say anything to them, which you can right now, what would you like to, what would you like to share?
1: So one of the things that I kind of figured out through all of this is you don't have to do big things to feel good about yourself. And, and my book is, tell my story, but I also, there's 101 essays. It's called 101 Invitations to a Life of Passion and Joy. And I know that they're there are little things that you can do every day. And if and and if I, I, my tagline is, if you accept my invitation for today, when you go to bed tonight, you're going to be able to say, "I feel good about being me," and that's a promise. Love that. Um, but it reminds me of of one of the uh, stories in there. A friend of mine started working for this company. It was the first job she had out of high school, and over the next. 15 years or so, the company grew and grew and grew, partly because of what she contributed. It was a very small, uh, I think there were two guys and and my friend, and, and they grew into this big company. And the company eventually was bought out after she had been there for 15 years. And the new company decided that she was expendable. And they let her go. And, I remember when she was telling me about that. She said, Barry, I had kind of, I'd been there so long I just figured that's where I was gonna be for the rest of my life. And it was shocking and kind of insulting that they let me go uh, because I'm part of what made that asset so valuable they wanted to buy it. And she said, but I figured out I've just been given a wonderful opportunity to explore possibilities. And they're possibilities that I would have never had the courage to explore if somebody hadn't done something to me. And so rather than feeling victimized, which she did at first, uh, she was very honest about the feelings of victimization that, that she experienced. But she was able to take that next step and say, okay, this is what has happened. What's the opportunity that's in this for me? And and she started exploring and and realized that her life didn't have to be shaped by a decision she made when she graduated from high school. Hmm. Um, And she started exploring, and it, it, it took between six and nine months for her to kind of find something that fit, but she's happier now than she has ever been, and if you'd talk to her when that happened, her world her world was ended, but actually what happened was that ending gave birth to new possibilities for her. And that's what I would say to to anybody that yeah a lot of stuff has ended. um, And it ended because of external circumstances, things that we had no control over decisions that other people made And, and we feel victimized And rightly so. But we can either stay stuck in that victim mode. Or we can say okay that's the end of that chapter what's the next chapter going to be that i want to write and and there are truly there are endless possibilities what happens to us is we get stuck with what we what we can't what we think we can't do um and again i think that's where a good coach somebody like you um Somebody like me can help people say, let's look at possibilities. Because in the midst of this pandemic that we're in right now, there are lots of possibilities that didn't exist before this. Um, So it's never too late. And there are always possibilities. If you have somebody, either, either if you can see them yourself, or if you have somebody that has the vision and will share with you the possibilities that they see for us. Just like Heather saw the possibility for me to become a Spartan trifecta athlete. Not anything I would have ever seen or dreamed for myself. Um, So we live in a world of possibilities and that's what I would, would want people to know.
0: It amazes me what we can gain from a shift in perspective. Yeah. And how what we once thought of a dead end was really just the start of a new beginning. One of our earlier guests we had on here, she does, she has a, a company where she helps people build virtual businesses. And she said something that was so powerful. She said, with the technology we have now, anybody could wake up in the morning and if they worked really hard by lunchtime, they could have a digital course online where they could be earning money from it. Wow. And I thought, God, that's so empowering. And I was, so then we were talking about, you know, the idea of like, well, what does that look like? And it's, it's, it's our life experience. Each of us has something that we're uniquely good at, but we just don't realize necessarily. Maybe that, that, that spills over into our magnificence because we've been playing life in the way that we always thought we were supposed to kind of like your friend that she had just accepted that that was where she was always going to be. And we, we, I feel like so many of us, we go through lives asking, making statements instead of asking questions.
1: Yeah the power of questions.
0: Yeah. So Barry, having run, completed the Spartan Trifecta, what's next for you? What's the, is there a a challenge, something, obstacle you want to tackle now? How is your, what is your next, the next mountain for you to, of your magnificence for you to climb?
1: You know, I've I've been thinking about that um, this this past week. So so right now, I've, I've written a book, best selling book, uh, Move into Your Magnificence: 101 Invitations to a Life of Passion and Joy. Um, I'm in the process of putting together a a, a video course that kind of parallels uh, my book, where I will tell a story and issue an invitation, and then I'm I'm developing a I call it a playbook instead of a workbook. Uh, a lot of us are tired of work, and <laughs> but but we all like to play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and also if you think about um, football teams and basketball teams, they have playbooks. Uh, given situations, this is the play to run to be successful. So I'm, I'm developing a, a playbook to go with this video course that I'm developing. Um, so that's, that's kind of the big mountain that I'm on right now. Um, I, I continue to enjoy the um, the obstacle course racing, running. Um, that's kind of been shut down like a lot of other things have. Uh, there was a big one that was, I was supposed to be in this past Saturday. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to when, when we're able to do those kinds of physical things outdoors again, uh, because I, I continue to enjoy the, just pushing my body physically Um, and and I enjoy the camaraderie of that. Uh, I remember writing, uh, again, in in my book, I wrote a piece about how much I hate running, Um, but then every Tuesday night, a group from our gym would go on a trail run together, and I couldn't wait to do the trail run, and I thought, wait, what's,
0: Hmm.
1: I hate running, but I can't wait to go run, and I realized it's the camaraderie, it's when you're doing something with a group of like-minded people um, and, and doing something with a group of people who are possibility thinkers. And, and there's there are no naysayers, there's no complainers, there are no grumblers, everybody's just out to have a good time and, and to kind of push and test and see where the physical limits are. And I just so love being in that kind of company. Um, so I don't know what it is but I know the ingredients that I'm looking for. How about for you? What's what's your next? Mountain.
0: You know it's it's funny. I I appreciate you asking that. And with COVID one of the opportunities to stop and pause it's given me is really assessing the who and the what who who matters most for me to spend my time with what is it most important for me to spend my time how do I want to spend most of my time starting this series this would have been something I would have never done never done because I was so busy with everything else and with those things being wiped out with live events but you know a big part of my business being taken away it gave me this really creative thing and and I'm really I'm leaning into this you know I've recorded now I think 150 of these conversations in the last three and a half months or so Uh, so I'm really leaning into this to see where it goes I if I still keep meeting incredible people like yourself I still keep meeting people who are willing to share their stories I think I'm going to keep doing this I think there's there's something that as we emerge into whatever the new phase of life is for all of us I think that emerging with a little extra hope and some tools, some strategies, some stories that can help assist you in your next great evolution, or you know, to use berries, you know, to really help you tapping into your magnificence. I think that that could be a, a tremendous asset. So I'm gonna keep leaning into this. Barry, before we before we wrap up and I ask you my final question, where can people find you online?
1: Uh, my website, www.drbarryfleet, drbarryfleet.com. Go there. You can get a link to see my TED Talk. You can get a link to buy my book. My book's available um, anywhere books are sold. um, You can get it there. Um, And you can get in touch with me at Barry, B-A-R-Y, Barry with one R. It looks wrong. (laughs) B-A-R-Y at drbarryfleet.com if anybody would like to to get in touch with me. And um, if anybody watching this podcast, if you want to talk with me, I'll be glad to give you a a free half hour coaching session to kind of see where you are and, and help you move into your magnificence, whatever that is.
0: Thank you, Barry. That's very generous. Final question. I told you this time goes super fast. I'm always amazed by the, the. I don't want to say irony has the irony of life. A dear friend of mine who passed away a couple of years ago would always talk about God having a sense of humor. And he would always say that he believed God was a she because of the sense of humor. <laughs> that oftentimes there'd be the things that would be so hurtful to us at one point ended up becoming the things that were the most, the biggest asset to us later on in life. How sometimes the things that are so traumatic in childhood like sports, raising our hand, trying to play in a sports team, even to be told no, become some of the greatest joys later on in life because where there was once no's, there's now community and camaraderie. I'm wondering if you could go back to that second grade Barry who's standing there watching the school burn down. And if you had the opportunity to put your arm around his shoulder and say anything to him to help guide him on his path forward, what would you say?
1: A Great question. I would, I would, I would want him to know that there is a future. And right now, today, we don't know what school is going to look like for you but there is going to be school for you. And just because other kids don't like school, it's okay that you do. Hmm. And you just hang in there and wait, and let's see what surprises we get about what school is going to look like for you.
0: I love that. Everyone, are you going to re-watch, re-listen? And make sure you head over to Barry's website too. Check out his TED talk, take him up on his generous offer. Barry took us on a truly magnificent story, didn't he? I don't know about you, but I was there with him when he was in second grade, watching the school school burning down. I was with him when he recoiled from the hurt of those kids who laughed at him, the the older kids, the big kids, the third and fourth graders. While they celebrated that school was gonna be done, he mourned the loss of school, the thing that he loved and held so dear in his childhood. I was with him in fifth grade, when he'd have to sit there and and take on the rejection of sports and meeting with the people who were unwilling to take him on. And not only that, but they would negotiate to try to see how they could compensate for the liability that they perceived him as. I was with him as he crossed the finish line, leaping over the fire and going off to the side and sobbing, not ashamed to cry, but proud to cry, realizing that the journey he had been on, starting when he was probably seven, eight years old, that little boy watching his school burn down, It's ironic, too, that the story began with a fire, and it came to a crescendo with another fire. I I never thought about that till now, but God, what a beautiful journey. It goes back to the maybe God really does have a sense of humor type thing, because who would have thought 60 years later it would be a fire again that would be greeting him into a new stage of life for him. That would be truly unlocking his magnificence. I love the message of you're never too old and to embrace this idea, not as the end, but the possibilities of what can come, that there might be something greater for you. And I love that Barry shares this story, again, as we talked about, not from intellectual, but from experience. He's lived it. He's breathed it. He crossed the Spartan finish line in his late 60s and into his 70s. He jumped over the fire at an age where most thought that was probably ridiculous to do and many half his age would probably never dare to do. But yet he did. He did. He did. And he's a shining and bright example of what can be possible for all of us when we lean into our magnificence. Now, some of us may be naysayers and we say, well, that's not for me. I can't do that. I don't have that talent or ability. Rewatch and re-listen what Barry said. It's inside of you all along. It's just what may be lacking is that coach, that mentor, the belief that you need to have, that one person that pulls you aside and says, damn it, you're going to get out there and swim because you are a triathlete. Now, who's the person that you need to believe in you right now and parents watching this, I mentioned it before, but I'll echo it once more again. Many of you wonder what can be the greatest gift you'll ever give your child. It's the gift of believing in them. And if you're listening to this watching and you're not a parent, find someone you can believe in. You know, It's something that it may not seem like it carries as much value at the moment as a new Nintendo system. But it will be the thing years into the future where it will, in fact, be the greatest gift you've ever given to them. And Barry, this has been such a tremendous gift that you've given to all of us today. I thank you so much for your journey, the journey you shared with us today, and just for sharing with us not only your magnificence, but what can be possible for all of us. Thank you.
1: Jesse, thanks so much for having me. Um, you're right, the time flew by. Does, oh, this, right? this has been great. I've so much enjoyed you and appreciate the work that you're that you're doing. And for folks that haven't watched Uh, Your other podcasts. I've I've watched two or three and it's really good stuff. So um, follow Jesse.
0: Thanks, Barry. We'll see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to